Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. As we begin today, I find it interesting that two of the hardest jobs that I, I think I have in my life, and, and maybe they were things that have been difficult for you as well, and, and I would say the two hardest jobs I have are, are being married and having children. That, that those two, and, and I'm not really joking in the sense of I put a lot of time and effort into both of those. And, and those are something where that work is never really done. Not that, not that it's slave labor and I hate it. But I'm just saying that, that it takes an investment of time and energy and emotion. It, it, it's, it's physical, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's mental. All of that goes into a, a marriage relationship and into a relationship with children. And the reason why I bring that up as we start today is because God uses both of those pictures in our relationship with him. And, and so you, you think about that, first of all, he says that the church is his bride, and he's the bridegroom, so, so you have the groom and the bride. But the one I want to focus on today is the one where he, he, he tells us to call, we call him our father, uh, we did that before in, in the prayer, which makes us his, his children. And in that relationship, it, it, both of these are hard work, they're lifelong relationships, and, and normally we look at them from our viewpoint, which is we look up at God as our father, uh, we, and we think about us being his children. But for a moment today, what I would like you to do is, is think about it from a different point of view. And the, and the thing that might help you is this. Imagine, and, and we've been doing this because we've been going through Financial Peace University and our growth groups and stuff like that. Part of the lessons are, are visualizing what can happen in the future, that, that after you get out of debt and, and after you get into a, a, a situation where you can maybe save some money and, and have a retirement, that you're, you've, you have a vision on what you might be able to do. And, and with that, some might look at it and, you know, that, that we could save $100,000, $500,000, a million dollars even over time. But just for today, just so we can all get on the same page, I want you to think in terms of if you were a parent and you won $100 million in the lottery, that you just got that, that money, $100 million right away, I want you to think about how much of that you would give to your children. And, and the reason why I say that is because I see, you know, and this is just me observing, not judging, just observing, that right now I look at some of the ways that poor people treat their children and they spoil them when they're poor. So, so I mean, they, they go and they get them things, they buy them things that these kids don't need, that, that, that they are not helping their kids out by, by spoiling them so much. So I think about that. If I won $100 million, would I go buy each one of my kids a brand new car? Would I tell them, you know what? Uh, don't worry about what, whatever you guys want. I'm going to put you on an allowance. I'll start it small. I'll, I'll give you five grand a month, blow money of just however you want to use it, and, and you guys can go do with it whatever you want. 
Well, it, this makes me think of a, an article I read about a grandmother who, who won over $100 million and gave each one of her grandchildren $100,000 and a year later buried two of them from drug overdoses, which they bought with the money she gave them from her lottery winnings. And, and she just looked at it and she said, this is so hard. This is so hard because I have all of this and I thought I was giving them a blessing and I, I cursed them. And, and in, in many ways, I look at it that, that I brought about their death. That's heavy. That is really heavy. And, and it makes me think back to uh, the, the way that I kind of grew up with not having parents who spoiled me, but maybe I would say on the opposite end of the spectrum that, you know, they were horrible, they were tyrants, they, they made me work all the time. And yeah, that was up just the work I did in the house. But anyways. <laughs> but I, I look back and, and I, I, I thought about this, that going through and having to work my way through college and the seminary and things like that, that there are lessons you learn from working that you cannot learn from someone giving you something. You, you cannot learn the value of hard work by someone giving you something you didn't earn. You can't. You cannot appreciate a hard day's work when you've never put one in. You cannot appreciate the power of perseverance when everything comes easy. You just, you just can't. And, and the beauty of this, the reason why I bring this up today is because our message is God owns it all. And, and one of the disconnects in our lives is this, is we wonder, then why isn't God giving me all of it? If God has all this, if a cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord, that if God is not only a hundred billionaire, trillionaire, however much there is in the world, it's all his, why isn't God making it easier for me and why isn't God just giving it to me that when we start to look at it from his perspective, do you, do you understand why he doesn't? Can, can you see that uh, as a loving God who makes you struggle? A, a loving God who wants you to learn all of these lessons that only come through difficulty. And ultimately, as a parent, what, it, what does God want? the lesson, the final lesson for you to learn about him is that he loves you. And not only that he, he loves you, but you need him. That with all of the stuff there is, that if you were the parent with $100 million, the worst thing that could happen is that you could give it to your child and then your child is a rebellious child and says, I don't want you in my life anymore. You would say, oh my goodness, the very thing that I was trying to teach them, the very thing that I was hoping to give them through my generosity, through my generosity actually destroyed the relationship. And so it is with God. As, as we, we look at this lesson today, God owns it all. I, I want you thinking in, in terms of this, of your relationship with God from how God is seeing it. And, and maybe, just maybe, it'll help us understand where he's coming from a little bit better. And it might help you understand the circumstance you are in at this moment but ultimately that you see God owns it all as, as a statement and a testament to his grace and his great love for you and his desire to have you 
in his life. So we begin in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Just in case you're wondering where we get the theme, God owns it all. And this is the theme that we're going to be going back to. God owns it all. And we don't say it necessarily that clearly every week. Uh, that, that we don't you know, use this verse necessarily. But there is something that we do use regularly that I hope when you hear it from this point on that you will, it will register in your head, God owns it all. And, and what it is, is the Apostles' Creed. In the Apostles' Creed, we say, I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. And, and when you say those words, what you are really saying, God, by virtue of being the maker of heaven and earth, owns it all. It, it's all his. One, uh, 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote this about the first commandment. He said, or, uh, the first article, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God created me and all that exists, and he gave me my body and soul eyes, ears, and all my members, my mind, and all my abilities. And I believe that God still preserves me by richly and daily providing clothing and food, uh, house and home, spouse and children, land, cattle, and all I own, and all I need to keep my body in life. God also preserves me by defending me against all danger, guarding and protecting me from all evil. All this God does only because he is my good and merciful Father in heaven, and not because I have earned or deserved it. For all this, I ought to thank and praise him to serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. That's the way that this begins, with, with God owning it all, that, that God takes this, and, and God takes what he owns, all of that, and he blesses us. He gives us the things that we need for today. We even pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? Give me today my daily bread. But, but all of us have so much more than that, that, that God is so generous and, and gives us uh, one thing after another. So in the blank, the first one is God owns it all. We have that one. And the first point, it is not mine. I am a trusted manager. And I'll give you the second one too. We'll get to it. I will use all I manage in a way that pleases God. Okay, I need you to go back to the, I I know some of you are still thinking about the $100 million you have, and so we might as well go back to it. And and so, if 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 you were to receive $100 million, I need you to have in your head right now who you would turn to to invest it or to to help take care of it. I need you to have a specific name. Do you have a specific name? Does everyone have a specific? Don't make me call on you for the specific name. (laughs) You have, okay, so you have this name, right? And I heard the name of of someone who does investments. For others that I've talked to about this, I asked people this question this week. For some, it was a a, a family member who uh, has a decent amount of money and and, and has shown themselves to be good managers. 
But I'm guessing that when you think of it, it is someone that you trust, first and foremost. That there's a trust relationship there, and, and someone that you trust to do with this, that they won't blow it, but that they will invest it, that they will help it work for you. Do you want something that, that's crazy when you think about it? And this is us thinking about God owning it all from a different point of view. God takes all that he owns, and you know who he has managed it? You. Think about that for a moment. Think about the amount of trust that God has placed in you by taking everything in the world that he owns and putting it into your hands. That, that you look at it, that, that what's so sobering about this is, is when I think about that investing that money or who I would get, I think of anyone but me. <laughs> that I would want it out of my hands as quickly as possible because I know what I'm capable of. And, and I know how I, I can make bad choices and ill-informed choices, but God has done it for you and, and he's done it with a purpose, notice, so that you can do with it what pleases God. You are a manager. And so on a daily basis, when, when you think about what you've been called to manage, think about it this way. If you, if you lived your whole life making $10 an hour from the time you were uh, basically, let's say, 20 up to the time you were 70, and, and, I'm, and I'm saying that's probably on the lower scale here, right? A million dollars will have gone through your hands in your lifetime. A million. That, that's the, those are the ones who are the, the poorest. Those are the ones who are working for a minimum wage. If you make $50,000 and during that time period in your life, which is the average of people in the United States, $2 million will have gone through your hands in that time period. And, and, if, and you can do the math as you get up to $100,000, if that's combined income in your home maybe, that, that we're talking about $4 million dollars. All of this, God has entrusted to you and said, use it in a way that pleases me. And as we look at this, you better know then what pleases God. And with everything that, that it's been fun for me and freeing in some ways that through Financial Peace University, one of the things we've done that it's embarrassing to say, we never had a budget. We just never did. That we, we I think we didn't like overspend crazy. We, we paid our bills. But when you, when you have a budget, what's neat about it is every budget item is something that I believe God wants us to spend our money on. And it's a God-pleasing budget. It's God-pleasing the, the amount we spend on our house and, and taking care of our home. To look at the percentages and ask, is it God-pleasing the amount that we spend on food? And came to the conclusion it's not God-pleasing the amount we were spending eating out, so the budget changed. In, in a way, the amount that we give as, as a tithe to the Lord being God-pleasing and recognizing that when we are being good managers and, and, and using the money in a way that pleases God, you know what it is? It's balanced. It, it's balanced, not just in, in the sense that it comes to zero at the end and I'm not going into debt, but it's balanced in that I look at all that's been entrusted to me, not just the cash, but the people and the ministry and all of the things that, that God has put for us and, and there's a balance as well with things that we do together. God owns it all. 
And, and as we look at this, these all go back to this truth, and he wants us to affect the way it lives our li- that, in the way that we live our lives. All right. Now what we're going to do, we've established this truth, God owns it all, very clear from his word. Now what we're going to do is understand why. Why God wants us to realize he, he owns it all and what it means for us in a practical way. And what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at the children of Israel. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. Now the children of Israel were 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, They, they left the slavery of Egypt. They went for 40 years. And when the book of Deuteronomy was written... It's basically, it means the second giving of the law, and it happened right before they were going into the promised land. And what God was doing basically is helping them cram again for the test. And the test was going to be being in the promised land to see how they were going to respond and, and to see if they learned the lessons God had tried to teach them for 40 years as he developed them as his children into a nation. And this is what he says. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So that's the the start, that he's saying, you've been in this desert, now you're going into this crazy awesome land, and what you need to do first is praise and thank God. In the blank, you can write, praise and thanks remind me of God's ownership and his desire to bless me. Praise and thanks. I know I've talked about this before, and and it's just a good practice once that I heard from uh, a, a leader, a Christian leader, who said, every day, thank God for three things. So so get up and, and say, okay, I'm going to praise God for these three things. But I, 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 I'm looking at it a little bit different today as I did the message. And, and what I did to, to help me even more be praise, praising and thankful is I thought of three things in different areas of my life. Three reasons, three reasons to give thanks why I live in Arizona, okay? Uh, every, I, I thought after four years I might get sick of the sunshine. Hasn't happened yet. That, that I thank God that I live here, especially this time of year, to have the spring training and the buzz around that. It, it's awesome. I love living in Arizona and being able to be up by Payson and, and up in, in Sedona area, wherever, in an hour and a half, two hours, and, and to have, in many ways, the, the best of both worlds with it being warm, which I love, and, and also being able to be up there and hunt, which I enjoy as well. I'm sorry, I did more than three with living in Arizona. And I didn't mention crosswalk yet. So then I had to do the next one, which is three reasons I love serving at crosswalk. And number one, I get, I'm looking at right now, which is all of you, which technically could be 200 reasons, 200 plus reasons, but, but why I love here, love being part of the staff, love being part of a church for the unchurched. I, I love being part of a portable church even. I love coming here and setting up and, and the, the patio and the vibe of the patio, and I'm over three. Uh, I, three reasons, I mean, we could go on and on. Three reasons, thankful for my wife. Three reasons, thankful for my children. Three reasons, you tell me. And what happens is when you train yourself to be thankful for that, it takes you back to God as the owner of it all. Why am I thanking God for that? Because I made the decision to live here because I, no. Because God has brought me here. 
that God gives me these gifts. These first article that we talked about is part of God being the maker of heaven and earth. He lets me live here. This is awesome. I love it. And then what's going to happen is, is as you learn to do that, you're going to find reasons to praise and thank God for things that are bad. And, or that you would see as bad. Thank God. How can I give three reasons to thank God that I'm sick and feel like I have the flu? Thank, God, thank you, God, because for the last 30 days, I didn't thank you for my health. Lord, thank you that, that we have access to health care. That I, I, that I have to struggle by getting in my car to drive into Walgreens or CVS to get some medicine. Thank you that there are other people that I can put this on a prayer card and other people can pray for me and you listen. Do you see where I'm going with this? The praise and thanks. Praise and thanks are the engine that drives, drives this as we look at God owning it all and keeping us in a healthy relationship with him. We continue. So he says, okay, you're gonna be thankful. Now be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. So the opposite of that thankful heart, which says, God, thank you every day, I'm gonna do this, that now I go to this prideful heart which says, look at everything I did. Look at the house I built. Look at everything I did to get where I'm at. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that's what I was talking about when we started, where God is at with us. That God refuses to bless us to the extent that we will forget him. That, that he blesses us to an extent that we no longer need him in our lives. That God, we have this under control. In the blank, you can, uh, it says, failing to recognize God as the owner can lead to, first of all, memory failure. Memory failure. One of my favorite stories about this is, is about a guy who's driving around on Christmas Eve uh, through the, the parking lot of uh, of the mall, and so he's driving around, and there are no parking spots whatsoever. And and as he's driving around, he says, "Dear Lord, please give me a parking spot, and I will make sure I go to church tonight, and I will give an offering as well." Just then, a, a car backs out of the front spot, pulls away. He pulls in and says, "That's all right, God. I found one myself." <laughs> Memory failure. And, and that's the way that we tend to go, don't we? That, that when we look at this, and, and the reason why is because inside of us, we talk about the sins we commit, but it's also important for us and for you to understand inside of you is a sinful nature. And the sinful nature is so predictable, and it's so easy to see in other people, but it's almost impossible to see in yourself. The sinful nature loves to take credit and loves to shift blame. 
So if anything good is happening, it says, yeah, look at everything I've done. I'm, you know, I'll write a book about this, all the things I did to, to, to get to where I'm at today. And maybe even that God has given you that ability, that, that you do have the ability to do these things. Bless you with a, a, a mind that, that is able to see through things and plan and write books. That's phenomenal. But, but when we do that and, and in such a way that says, yeah, this is all me and, and not God, it, it's memory failure and a failure to see God's goodness. Recognize that sinful nature inside of you. Confess it. Identify it. Get rid of it. And go back to that thankful heart. Then what happens? Memory failure. Next one is sinful pride. Sinful pride. And another way to say that is trust in yourself, however you want to, but... That is why in, you need to see God owning it all in the context of why it's so hard. When Jesus says it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the reason why it's so hard for a rich person to, to enter the kingdom of heaven has nothing to do with blessings being bad or wealth being bad or anything like that. But what happens is you get into a situation where you build a wall around yourself with wealth. That, that you, you build a wall around yourself with everything that you have accumulated and you can get to a point where you say, you know what, God, for the daily bread, I don't even need to pray for that anymore because I have that handled. I, I not only have daily bread, I have enough bread for me to go until I'm 100 years old, which is why I now can retire and, and do what I want. Again, those things in and of themselves are not bad. But the sinful pride comes is is when I begin to trust in what I have done. I begin to trust in myself, whether it be my strength, the things I've accumulated, whatever it is. And that is the warning God was giving the children of Israel. And then finally, and this is the worst, is that there can be renewed slavery. That what happens is that the slavery that they, the children of Israel had gotten out of in Egypt, that now they go and as they're working for more and more and more, they go back into the slavery where they are, are just driven and driven and driven by their greed. We can fill in the next blank right away as well. I love this quote. This is one of my favorite ones. And it's that money makes a wonderful servant, but a horrible master. And the person who's giving, given credit for that is Sir Francis Bacon, who is not necessarily a Christian. What, what, what Sir Francis Bacon was known for is powers of observation. And, and so as someone who, who lived at that time, and simply what he observed is that with money, money could be a wonderful servant, horrible master. You want a perfect example of that? Money being a wonderful servant is when you have savings invested and your money is earning you interest while you sleep. That's money being your servant. That, that you tell your money where to go. That, that you, you put it here and you, you do that. You invest it, whatever it is. And all of a sudden what happens is that money is going to work. The problem is that money being a master works the same way. And what happens is when I get in debt, I am the one who has to be working all the time because my master money continues to make that gap bigger. 
And so all of a sudden now what, what happens is when decisions are made in my life because I have this debt, because I have to take care of it, that, that maybe we use terminology like, well, my, my finances dictate what I have to do. That, that we make financial decisions that are not based on what we want to do based on our faith and our relationship with God, but it's based on how much I can afford because money continues to, to tell me what to do. This is something we, we need to look at, and, and it's something we, we definitely have seen uh, as we've gone through Financial Peace University, talked about debt, know that many of us are in debt to the tune when we started of $4 million. That's a lot of debt, and, and that's a lot of interest. But that's not even the worst part. The worst part of this, when money is your master, is a reality that Jesus taught us. And that is you can't have two masters. You, you, you love the one and despise the other. And if money is our master, then God is not. And then we are in the worst slavery of all. It's not just money debt, but a debt of, of sin, a debt of separation from God, a debt that keeps us away from the only person who can pay that price. Completely unacceptable for God. Completely unacceptable for God's people. So this is what he says. Next page. Deuteronomy 8, 15 to 16. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness. Just so you know what's going on here, because they had memory failure, he's reminding them. Okay, so in case you have memory failure, I'm going to tell you this story, which is recorded in the Bible like a hundred times. Uh, hello, hello, in case you forgot it. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna deed in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. That makes me think of the song they were singing before, right? It is well. It is well, and why is it well? Because in these times of difficulty that, that they, they, they push me back to the Lord and, and make me realize my great need for him. I hope this fill-in sounds com, uh, vaguely familiar to two weeks ago. By giving me times of blessing and testing, God is teaching me to trust him completely. For those of you who were here two years ago, that's our first breakthrough lesson. God trust, making me trust him completely at the times where I am wanting, at the times when I have memory failure, at the times I'm not sure how I'm going to move forward. What, what he did with the people during that time of the snakes, remember that he set up a bronze snake. Whoever looked at it was still bitten, but the venom didn't, didn't hurt them. In the same way, Jesus was raised up on a cross. And so when life bites us, when we feel these hardships, these pains, the want, the debt, whatever it is, that we look to the cross of Jesus Christ. And in that way, in our weakness and in our debt, Jesus pays our debts. God is with us. Now we're in a, a position where God can truly bless us, not just with physical blessings, but starting with those spiritual blessings in Christ. We continue. You may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. 
but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So now he's pointing to this and, and just reminding, and just in case you start to get on your high horse again, say, I've done this, this is hard work, all of that, which is true, that God gave you even that ability to do that work, that God has made you who you are, that he is the potter, we are the clay. And even as, as we do all of these things, that it gives glory to God. A very similar passage that talks about it in the New Testament is it's talking about this confirming of the covenant. And I'm going to get to what that means in a second, but Romans 8 verse 32 says it this way. He who did not spare his own son, talking about God, pointing to the cross of Jesus, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And so what he's saying is the greatest gift we have in Christ is Christ, And be assured that God wants to give you earthly blessings as well, as many as you can handle, not any that are going to go to a point that it will hurt you. And so in in the blank you can write, when God blesses me, he is confirming a covenant that he made with me through Jesus. When God blesses me, he is confirming a covenant. I don't know about you when you travel or you... uh, rent a car, rent a hotel room or anything like that. I I do it all on the internet, but I'm always like paranoid that I'm going to screw it up, okay? So I go in there and I put all my stuff in right, and then you send it. And if I don't get that confirming email, like within 10 seconds, I'm like, oh, great, what did I do? I put my email in wrong. I, I messed it up somehow. But then what happens is as the trip gets closer, then I still start to doubt it. And that's why Southwest sends me like 10 reminders the week of to say, Dan, I know you're psycho, so here, just so you know, we know you're coming, and then you can check in and all that, and it's like, good. I I love getting those reminders because just in case, it's my nature that that I'm just, I might have messed it up. And so God has noticed as he's saying this, he's confirming the covenant that he's given us in Christ. And, and I need you to make the connection between the thanks and praise you give God every day and confirming what we have in Jesus. Because all, all of a sudden what happens at these times when I tell you how much I, live in Arizona, I love living in Arizona, that they're not just about me enjoying living here. They're about a God who knows the way that I'm wired and he gives me these these little things that sometimes I think are just for me like the sunrises and the sunsets and and, and the the way the clouds are or the, the going up and just being by myself up on a mountain or whatever it is and it's like oxygen to me. And, and, it, and it's not just about the beauty of what I'm seeing. It's about an intimate relationship I have with a God that I'm so insecure about that he knows he needs to continue to bless me because when difficult times come, I start to freak out and wonder if he truly loves me. And his answer in Christ and in my life and in yours is yes, 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 yes. And see the blessings I give you as that. We continue. How is that, what is our response? These are the words now from the psalmist. 
What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. As you look at the trust that God has given you that you are a manager of, we already said this, God owns it all. He's trusted you by by giving these things to you that he says, respond to me also in trust. Respond to me by trusting not only my ability to bless you in the past, but the confidence that I'm going to bless you in the future. And in the same way that we look at our generous God, that we become his generous children. In the blank, you can write, experiencing God's generosity will lead me to respond with generosity. Experiencing God's generosity will lead me to respond with generosity. I love serving at Crosswalk, and I, I love serving with Pastor Jeff, and I've learned so much from him. It's great serving with him. But one of the, thing, the lessons that I think of that he taught me that in a way of speaking that I never did before I was down here was uh, when I, the first time I asked him to borrow his truck. And better than owning a truck is having a friend who has a truck. We all know that. And, and so that, that I'm like, hey, Jeff. I, and, and I didn't know how he was going to respond because I didn't know him that well. I'd only been here like a month. And I didn't want to be that guy. Uh, so I asked him, Jeff, can I borrow your truck? And his response to me is one that he said that time and has said every time, and that is, oh, you want to borrow God's truck? And I said, wow, you really think a lot of yourself, don't you, Jeff? <laughs> no, he, but he, just kidding. Is he here? <laughs> But we, but we look at this, and that's the way he talks. That is the way, yeah, you want to use God's truck? Absolutely. God's house, God's whatever it is, that, that he uses that language all the time. And I've learned God loves it when you use his truck and return it filled with gas. That's what I've also learned. <laughs> the point is this, is that when you've been given this, and it's not yours, it's God's, that, that you become a conduit through which God can bless others. And when you begin a culture of that, it is contagious. And that has been my prayer for Crosswalk through this breakthrough series. We've been going through Financial Peace University, okay? And, and we've been doing that. Some of you, just so you know, I know, have dropped out. Some of you, you didn't finish and stuff like that. I, I love you, I forgive you you're, if you need that. But anyways... There's going to be opportunity for you if you want to make another run at it. We're going to have other classes coming up. But as we do this, it's never been about FPU, guys. It's never been about the Dave Ramsey way. It's not about that. It is about what we can do at Crosswalk to have a culture of generosity. That we look at this church, and this is God's church, that we look at the, the offerings that we give. These are God's offerings. We look at the help we give. This is God's help. We're simply taking what he's given to us and sharing it with others. That is the culture that, that I think if, if I raised a child and I had $100 million and my children grew up to be like that, I would think as a father that would be a success for me. And understand that as we look at it through Christ, you are already the, the, the Bible calls it the apple of God's eye. He loves you so much. He does. 
And, and so as we look at this, what, what a great blessing that he gives you by reminding you he owns it all. He is generous with you. He will continue to bless you, which allows you to be generous with others. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for all the, the blessings that you give us in Jesus Christ. And in just a moment, the band is going to be playing about that wealth we have in the cross, that our wealth is you, our wealth is Jesus. And as if that weren't enough, Lord, you give us all that we need for our daily life. And so, Lord, we th- thank you for that. Now, Lord, help us on a, a daily basis to be thankful to you. Help us to, to look at this truth that you own it all as the grace that it truly is, that that you have this wonderful relationship with us, that you want to bless us, that you have blessed us and will continue to. And Lord, we know now we we don't need to live with fear of the future, but we know that you will continue to bless us in the future as you have in the past. And for that, Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. As you go from here today, I really hope that you start to use God's name uh, to help you establish ownership and that you take, take a moment today. I, I think of God's daughter that he let me be married to, God's children that he has entrusted me to raise in my family, God's band he let me listen to today. Thanks, God. Uh, God's house that he lets us come to all of this, that as it begins to change your language and your thought process, as you look at God's ownership, you realize how generous he truly is, uh, and first and foremost in the cross of Jesus. And, and just give thanks for that every day. And as you go, as if all this weren't enough, go with God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.